This is Entrepreneurs Get Visible, the podcast for people who want more impact, influence, and income. I'm Anna Parker-Naples, and I'll be sharing with you proven methods from leading entrepreneurs that help you get visible as an authority in your field. Because anything's possible when you get visible. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Entrepreneurs Get Visible. Today, we're talking about why being able to tell a great story is the secret source for your business success, whatever it is that you're doing. And I'm really excited today because I have with you the pitch whisperer, who is John Liversay, who's joining us all the way from uh, Texas today so that we can talk all about what it means to be the person who grasps an audience so that you can sell more effectively. So welcome to the show, John. Great to have you here. Great to be with you, Anna. It is Texas. You looked at me strangely when I said that. Oh, I did because I live in Austin, Texas. And sometimes people go, gosh, that's a big state. And Austin's kind of a unique little place within Texas, known for keeping it weird, which is one of the reasons I moved here. Yes. So most of my audience aren't in the state. Some of you are. Some of you out there listening are. But to us, you know, it's just a part of the whole US. So we don't worry too much about the complexities. Uh, (laughs) The nuances. The nuances. That doesn't matter to us. So, um, So, John, you are known as the pitch whisperer. Tell us a little bit about that and why you got that name. Mm. Well, I was hired by Anthem Insurance to be a speaker. And they said, we have an audience of people who are nurses and MBAs and none of them want to sell. And yet we need them to sell our data to the doctors and they don't know how to do it. And I said, well, let's invite them to just become storytellers instead of salespeople. And they love that idea. And then I had said to them, what else is happening after my talk? And they said, oh, we're going to have an improvisation session and people are going to pretend to be the doctors and audience members will shout out objections. And we'll." I said, oh, well, what if I stayed and would be on stage and whisper in their ear something from my talk if they got stuck? They said, oh, we love that idea. And then uh, when I was uh, doing it, someone said to me, oh gosh, could you be in my ear all the time? You really are like a pitch whisperer. And I told that story to Inc. Magazine and they wrote a story about it. So that's when I... And really owned it and uh, even trademarked it. And and one of the things that I had a look at when I was was checking out your website, as I always do before I speak to someone here, was this concept of storytellers ruling the world, which I believe is a Plato quote, quote yes. that you have on your website. Tell me about why that inspires you. Well, it's just as true today, Anna, as it was back then, except Plato and didn't have to compete with the internet for distractions. So I think part of what it is, is the ability to break through the clutter and stand out, which is what your show is about. And people won't remember your facts or figures, but they will remember your stories. And so that's why I believe that storytellers rule the world. A lot of people think, oh, I have to have really you know, great skills as a lawyer or a doctor or whatever it is. When, um, but the storytelling may be perceived as soft skills, but I think soft skills make you strong because it makes you memorable. And that's the number one challenge most entrepreneurs have is they feel like they're lost in a sea of sameness and they tell what they do and nobody really remembers anything special. And so they become a commodity and that's the worst place you want to be. Storytelling then, do you think it's because of the emotive nature of that, how we make people feel? Yes, exactly. Is that just one element? Well, it's certainly a key one. You know, it's in our DNA. It accesses a different part of our brain. If I say, let me present you some facts and figures for you to analyze and some information, 
you start getting into your analytical mode. I've already fallen say, asleep. <laughs> yes. And, and let me tell you a story and you're like, oh, maybe this will be entertaining and interesting. And it, your brain taps into typically the, what's called the right side of the brain where imagination and empathy and listening and storytelling all live. And people buy emotionally and then back it up with logic. And the mistake most people make is thinking that people buy from getting enough information. And so it's a huge shift from pushing out information to telling a story that pulls people into the story. And when that happens, they see themselves in the story and they want to go on the journey with you. From an NLP perspective, so I'm a master of NLP and a master of hypnosis, we look a lot at words and language. And what happens is when someone hears a story, Mm -hmm. we're immediately listening looking out for, seeking that element of connection. Where do I fit in this story? What are the parallels with my own stories? Have I done this before? Is it something similar? Do I recognize myself in this story? That's what we're doing. And I think for I think for selling, the more you tap into that, the better results you're going to get. Let me give you an example so we can bring this to life for someone. I was working with Olympus Medical and they sell equipment. And I said, what are you saying to doctors to get them to buy this? Like, oh, our equipment makes the surgery go 30% faster. Do you want one? I said, oh, that's a left brain numbers analytical kind of cell. So I taught them how to tell a short little case story instead of a case study, which sounds like this. Imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was six months ago down at Long Beach Memorial using our equipment, and he could go out to the patient's family in the waiting room an hour earlier than expected. And if you've ever waited for somebody you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. And he came out and put them out of their waiting misery, said, good news, the scope showed they don't have cancer, they're going to be fine, and then turned to the salesperson and said, you know, that's why I became a doctor for moments like this. Now that salesperson can tell that little case story to another doctor at another hospital, and they usually say, oh, you know what? That's why I became a doctor too. Mm -hmm. I want your equipment. So there's the hook. There's the sense of belonging. There's the connection. Suddenly it's a memorable product. Mm -hmm. It's about how it's made you feel. So for many of my listeners are um, early stage coaches or early stage entrepreneurs or speakers. Where are they falling down with this? What don't they know about telling their story? Well, the first step is you don't know how important it is. So you're not telling any story at all. Mm In fact, um, the people at Olympus said, oh, wow, that story you told and crafted for us gives us chills because we never thought of having the patient's family be a character in the story. So I think that's the second place that people really fall down is they want to make themselves the hero of the story and they're not. Mm-hmm. It's their clients that they've worked with and they need to make themselves seem like a Sherpa that enables the person third working with to be the hero. I love that concept of the Sherpa. This is something interesting that happens on social media. You see people, they will just share their testimonial as though that's going to give you everything that you need. And it might be wonderful and it might be an amazing transformation. But if you don't understand the context, if you don't understand the struggle, if you don't understand the strife, if you don't understand the personalities, there's only so much that that social media testimonial or that testimonial on your website is going to give you. So what was it then that brought you to to doing this work? You're on stage, you're realizing you're giving this talk, you've been asked to give it, you've been helping these medical people. At what point did you realize that this was something that could be transmuted towards other experts in selling? Well, I myself was in sales for many years. I sold advertising for Condé Nast. And for example, Lexus, the car company would say, listen, we looked at 50 different magazines. We've narrowed it down to 10. We're inviting each rep from each magazine to come in and present for 30, 40 minutes. 
do not talk to us about numbers. We've already analyzed that. Come in and give us some marketing ideas. And we're going to pick three out of the 10. And I thought, oh, it's whoever tells the best story gets the sale. And so I was in my audience's shoes many times, and that's a key to becoming a good speaker. If you've been in the audience's shoes, you have credibility, you have empathy, and you're able to say what you did to be more successful firsthand as opposed to research. And you know, now I've written a book called Better Selling Through Storytelling, turned it into an online course. So it becomes a whole big package when someone hires me as a speaker, they can give the audience the book as well as putting the audience through the course after my talk so that it really sticks because that's what people are looking for when they hire a speaker is, mm-hmm. well, we would not just motivate us and inspire us, but give us a new tool that we can start using long after your talk is over. And that's why the course and the book go hand in hand with that. Yeah. So then you're taking this 35 or 45 or an hour scenario where, yes, you might say something memorable, but at least, you know, that that disappears after you, after that, that moment finishes and you're giving them more and more. Something you said there that I want to just recap for my audience, because I think it's really important. Whoever tells the best story wins the sale. Mm-hmm. Because it's memorable. And also there's often meetings after the meeting. So let's say Lexus hears 10 pitches and then they'll get together and they'll have a second meeting and say, okay, what do you think? Who do you like? And they'll go, well, you know, that guy, John told a really good story of another event that they had for another company that I think would be great for us. And so they're remembering the story Mm -hmm. and and sometimes even all the decision makers aren't in the room. And so you need to tell a story that other people can remember and retell. Now, you and I both use the podcast space to make sure that we're telling our stories. And I Mm -hmm. know with your with your own podcast that you are deliberate in the guests that you bring on as we are here to make sure that you're delivering value and telling these stories. Your podcast is called The Success Pitch. The Successful Pitch, yes. The Mm -hmm. Successful Pitch. And you're actually a podcasting veteran. You've been going longer than me. You're five years into podcasting. I am. Yeah. And how has that enabled you to tell your story and win the sale? Well, you know, we were talking about visibility earlier before the show and how important that is to your audience. I took 10 of my favorite episodes and turn it into a book. So I actually have a book called The Successful Pitch based the same name as my podcast. And I reached out to the guests who typically have a high following on social media. And I said, would it be okay if I took the transcript from our episode and turned it into a book? And they all said, yes. And then those people, because they were in the book, promoted it. So whatever you're the author of, you're also the authority of. If you look at the word authority, it has the word author in it. And so the podcast allows you to create content without having to necessarily even write a word if you use the transcript, but it's really those relationships that you get access to. For me as a speaker, I've had several speaking bureaus on at my show, which gives them some value for PR. Mm -hmm. And then they get to know me and many of them decide they want to represent me after that. So there's lots of ways you can build a relationship with someone, either being a guest and providing great value and or inviting them on to explore ways to collaborate. So for me, the real value of the podcast is the relationships I get from the guests. And then it's always great to hear from listeners why they liked a particular episode. So for someone who is crafting their own story, who's looking at things they've done or wanting to tell the story of a client win in a better way, Hmm. are there set criteria that they have to make sure are in there? Yes. A great story has four elements to it, Anna. First is exposition. So I want everyone to think of themselves like a journalist. Who, what, where, when? We need to paint that picture 
you remember the story I gave you uh, of Olympus, I said, it's Dr. Higgins, six months ago, Long Beach Memorial. Well, okay, we know where we are now in the story. Got the context. Yeah. Yes. Then the problem, and for those of you who like to take notes, there's another soundbite for you. The better you describe a problem, the better people think you have their solution. So a good story, the problem is described with a little, the stakes are high. And you'll notice how I pull people into that story by saying, if you've ever waited for somebody you love to come out of surgery, you know, every minute feels like an hour. You've made it life and death. They're like, oh, I do know that feeling. Or I know someone who went through that and that's how they described it. So now you're really in the mm. problem, which is how painful it is to be waiting for someone you love to come out. And the solution in this case is the doctor saying the results that the scope showed they were fine. And he comes out an hour early. That's the real solution. And then the secret sauce to a great story, Anna, is the resolution. What is life like after? Imagine if the Wizard of Oz ended when Dorothy got in the balloon to go back to Kansas. But no, there's a resolution scene where she's in bed saying, oh my God, there's no place like home and you were there. And, and all of that is what makes that story so classic. And so the resolution in this story is the doctor turning to the sales rep and saying, that's why I became a doctor. And there's real meaning and purpose in that statement as well. Mm -hmm. In the yes. same way for Dorothy, there's no place like home. That's where the meaning mm -hmm. of the whole story she's been on. Yes. And it's often things you can't remember until someone tells the story and prompts you to remember how important mm -hmm. it is. Exactly. My line is when we tug at heartstrings, people open their purse strings because you're, people buy emotionally first. And what are the rookie mistakes then? Mm. The first one is not practicing. <laughs> I'll just wing it. And then the story meanders. It doesn't have a point. Typically, it doesn't have a resolution. In addition to making themselves the hero instead of the client, it's too long. A good story has to be clear because the confused mind always says no. So that's a big rookie mistake is they make it with a bunch of acronyms and confusing. And no one's ever going to say they're confused. It has to be clear, concise, and not go on for long. You st those stories I give you are very short and compelling. There has to be some emotional hook in it. And very few rookies have all three in the story. And that's why I love helping people use that as their checklist to make sure that all three of those things are happening so that their story is, in fact, memorable and tugging at heartstrings. What I'd love to hear from you, John, if you're able to share, are examples of how, for a client, this has gone from not working for them mm, to something yeah. that is packageable, relatable, and repeatable. That's what we're yeah. talking about here. It is. One of my um, students in my course, her name is Rose, and she worked with me on her elevator pitch because that's really the beginning of the whole connection. And most people have a horrible elevator pitch. They think it's a 10-minute invitation for a monologue, and they, you know, and they start pitching in the elevator pitch. The whole goal of an elevator pitch is to get people intrigued enough where you say, tell me more. So with Rose, we worked together on her elevator pitch, and she now says, you know, when you throw your jeans in the dryer and they come out and they don't you can't button them, they've shrunk, and you want to blame the dryer, and you know, maybe I ate a little too many sweets during COVID. Uh, that's what I do. I help women who, you know, stress, struggle with emotional stress eating issues. And, you know, people go, oh my God, I totally, you know, get what you do. So then she went through and we worked on her case story of helping a client of hers named Elizabeth, who was on the self-esteem roller coaster, depending on whether her jeans buttoned or what the scale said. And she was so stressed out, she was eating. And so working with Rose, Rose was able to help her figure out alternative ways to deal with the stress without beating herself up and not putting on her on a diet or any of that stuff. So after working with Rose for three months, she started getting more calm and the eating stress went down. And now she's not 
on this self-esteem roller coaster anymore and she's much happier. That's the case story with Rose. And then she said to me, you know, I'm struggling when I'm talking to someone about buying my six-month coaching program. I, I get really awkward for me. I'll say, you know, is it okay if we talk about the investment to work with me now? And the potential buyer says, well, I guess so. So I said, no, don't say any of that, Rose. Here's the secret question to ask after you've told a case story. Does that sound like the kind of journey you'd like to go on? Mm-hmm. Boom. She got two clients in a week. Rose herself is saying less and she doesn't feel pushy and it's just an invitation. And that is a perfect little case story of someone I've worked with using a story to win clients. So from a from a mindset perspective, you're opening up all sorts of possibility, opportunity. You're creating new neural pathways, potentially. It's powerful stuff. What is it for you that makes this work so exciting? Oh, boy. There's so many levels of it because it doesn't just help people with their personal business life. It also helps them personally. Okay. They start, when you have a story to share, people have time to talk to you. They want to make time and they look forward to talking with you. And uh, one of my uh, students is an orthopedic surgeon wanting to learn how to tell a story to launch one of his products. But he says, my seven-year-old daughter says, daddy, tell me, make up a story. Don't read one. He said, I've never known what to do. And now I do. Um, so I find that it helps salespeople feel a lot less pushy and be known as the person who's always got a good story. And I help people think of their brain like a jukebox. You know, with a jukebox, you push a letter and a number. I mean, a song comes out. Once we have the skills to tell one good story, then, as you said, it's rinse and repeat. We can have multiple stories in our toolbox, like a jukebox, so we have a story that's really appropriate to the person we're talking to that fits their situation. I think that's really important. This is not just generic stories that you're going to go out and spout to anyone, anywhere, and they're all going to love you for it. Right. You're going to be thinking and always be mindful who you're delivering it to, whether this is one-on-one, whether this is on stages, whether this is in your books, whether this is on your podcast. Exactly. So tell me then a little bit about... uh, when, how do you know if you're wanting to build that context? How much do you the exposition? How, is that what the word? What exposition? Yes, exposition. Mm-hmm. I thought I said that wrong. Sometimes you know your yeah. brain does something weird. How can you make sure that you're not giving it all away? That you're you're holding something back? What are the key elements within that? Well, the exposition is not giving anything away. It's literally painting a picture of what's because we need that to make us get in the story. We need to know where we are who it is, Mm. you know, sometimes we get into, you know, so-and-so's in their thirties or in their forties where they live. It just is an opening that just gets us into the story so that we know, oh, it makes it that much easier for us to see ourselves in that story. Yeah. Yeah, that's the point. That's the key, isn't it? That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to let mm-hmm. someone into this world you're creating yes. that has happened in a particular way, but you're you're honing those elements. So in terms of the resolution then, how when you've you've taken people on this journey, they've be they've put themselves in as the hero, even though you didn't quite, you know, you didn't stipulate that they should imagine that. How direct should this resolution be? when you're thinking about the offer that sits behind it? Mm. Do you lay it on the table? Do you hold it back? Do you keep it to yourself? You don't give the offer in the resolution of the story. The story should sit by itself that someone could, because that's what allows someone to, you want to end on the resolution, not the offer. Mm. So the resolution is an emotional transformation with some outcomes that person has had. Uh, And so when that person no longer is struggling to button their jeans or worrying about what the scale says to determine their self-esteem, 
what is that life? Well, now they're free. They're happier. They're no longer depressed. They're, they've got more energy. They're no longer, they've got, they're taking walks instead of eating or whatever it is. Then you, you stop the story there and you let someone comment on it or digest it or say, oh, that sounds great. Yes. So the resolution is about emotional journey that they used to be stressed, waking up in the middle of the night, worrying about this. Now they have peace of mind. They used to feel overwhelmed. Now they have a roadmap. They know exactly what to do next, all of that. So that is where the resolution allows people to say, oh, that's a good story. And then that allow them to remember it. If you start pitching to buy right away, it'll take them out of the story too fast. There's real power in the pause. I come from an acting background. So that's my, my history. And knowing when to use that pause effectively really makes a big difference, particularly in any sales environment, even when we've told the story. So for someone then who is, is maybe looking at their catalog of stories they may or may not have, or they may or may bring out on podcasts or whatever, how can they assess whether, whether a story is going to work for them? Are there any simple steps you could share for people to know if it's the right one? Well, the first step is those three C's. Is it clear? Is it concise? And is it compelling? That's your checklist. And then practice your stories with some friends before you get on a show and say, was that clear or did that confuse you? Do you think people would enjoy that story? Do you think it did it tug at your heartstrings at all? Did you feel like you were in the story? Do a little test, like you people test advertising, test your stories the same way. I think that's important. People are scared to do that. They're scared to get that feedback. And it's actually through that feedback that you grow, you improve, you get better. Mm-hmm. You're constantly tweaking it to get it. As, like when I was first telling the story of um, the doctor, I didn't say he put them out of their waiting misery the first two times I told the story. And then I went, oh, if I add that in, it'll make it even stronger. So there's all kinds of ways to get the basics. Don't try to be perfect the first time you tell it. Just use those four steps, exposition, problem, solution, resolution. Make sure you've got all something in each one of those buckets. Put it together, get some feedback, and then see which of those four things might need to be enhanced. There's something I think uh, I I want to kind of bring up and highlight for the listeners. We talk on this show about visibility, building your own personal brand, putting yourself out there. And what I've liked about what you've shared today is actually you're not putting yourself in the center of this story. It's not about you. And yet it's really about what you have empowered and enabled as a result of the product or service. Mm -hmm. So I think think that's particularly powerful. So John, this is something you cover a lot. People can go listen to you on the success successful pitch podcast. And I know you have a freebie to share with my audience today. Can you let us know all about that? Yes. So if anybody wants my free ebook on my top storytelling tips, all you have to do is go to my website, John Livesey, L-I-V is in Victor, E-S-A-Y.com. And you'll see a place to input your email and you'll get it sent to you straight away. And that'll get you on the journey of how to go from invisible irresistible. I love that phrase. You can guess why. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the show today, John. It's been a pleasure to meet you. And hopefully you guys out there, this is going to encourage you to really get clear on the stories you're telling and craft them properly. Don't just let them be fly away. Don't just throw them out there willy-nilly. Find the ones that are working, that are engaging and craft them because that's where the power is for you to sell much more effectively. Thanks so much for coming on today, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Get Visible. To get your free checklist on how to raise your profile and to find out about our community, go to annaparkernaples.co.uk forward slash get visible.